This is a CNA podcast. Hello and welcome to CNA Correspondent with me, Steve Lai. My aim is to bring you beyond the headlines and behind the scenes with our network of correspondents. This edition is a little different as it serves as a companion piece to our TV version that airs this week with an episode called India Through the Lives of Its Women. It marks International Women's Day on the 8th of March. When your mother tells you her life story, the fact that she had no power to decide anything for herself, how does that make you feel? I feel terribly sad that her wishes were disregarded, that she was forced to marry early. I know that's why she expects us to do more with our lives. She doesn't want us to go through what she did. It's fair to say that the progress of women has been far from even in India. In fact, according to the World Economic Forum, India ranked 135th out of 146 countries on its Global Gender Gap Index. That's despite the fact that it is set to become the world's fastest-growing economy and also the world's most populous nation of over 1.4 billion people. But don't just take my word for it. To tell you more about what it's like for women in India in 2023, I'm joined by our New Delhi and Mumbai correspondents Neha Punia and Rebecca Bundan. Welcome, both of you. Hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. Good to join you. All right, let's start with a fairly broad question for both of you. What's it like to be a woman in India today? Uh, who'd like to go first? I think I can. I think that's a very, very big question, and I'll try and do justice to it. But if I were to answer it briefly, I think it's very empowering because there are so many freedoms that this generation enjoys today and takes for granted, something we've tried to illustrate through our stories as well, but some things that were unimaginable for our mothers and grandmothers. But it's also a sobering reality and a study in contrast, because I think the point of this episode also is to tell viewers around the world that there is no one single voice of Indian women. They don't speak in what in one voice about their experiences, about their ambitions, about the freedoms they want, about the possibilities that they think are realistic in their lives. But there is one thing, Steve, that does underpin almost every Indian woman's experience, and that is a struggle to demand more in their personal and professional lives, and also perseverance. Because, you know, we're seeing how there is change. There are more women out and about in public spaces. Uh, Like I said, there is more freedom. The fact that we were able to get so many of these women to talk to us about their personal lives is something that would have possibly been impossible a few decades ago because of the kind of patriarchy and stigma that is associated with women speaking frankly, especially to the media. But some things that still haven't changed is how most women experience patriarchy first at home. It's how they're treated differently from the very moment that they're born. But there are attempts, like uh, Rebecca and I tell you through these stories, to challenge that particular notion. Yes, that's right. I agree with a lot of what Neha said. But particularly for me, I spend a lot of time reporting in Mumbai, which is India's financial capital where I'm based. And looking at the business world here, it's really encouraging to see that there are a lot of women who are rising to some of the the top positions. They're holding more senior roles in companies and also a lot of female entrepreneurs. I, I meet a lot of really inspiring women who started businesses, some that have gone on to become really massive companies in India, very, very successful. That is really inspiring. But at the same time, there is this challenge as well that you see that there are still not a lot of women at the very, very top of a lot of the biggest companies in India. And there's still more to be done. Of course, that's a problem that's faced in many countries around the world. So while there is a lot of progress, you can still see 
that there's more room for women to really grow, particularly given the skills that they have, the education now that they're, they're going through. They really have a lot to offer, definitely progress, but still more to be done, it seems. And the experiences of women across India is obviously incredibly varied, depending on their socioeconomic situation, the family that they're born into, those sorts of things. Uh, Tell us, Niha, how you put this TV episode together, the stories you're telling and some of the people that you spoke to. Steve, we'll be frank, we've been trying to tell a story like this for a very long time. But, you know, as is often the case with India, sometimes the more horrific headlines where you have the rapes, where you have, you know, crimes against women, they tend to grab everyone's imagination and the focus entirely comes on to the issue of safety of women. But what we tried to do this time around was we tried to tell the story of India and its progress through the eyes of its women, because they're a very important demographic. They make up nearly half the country's population. And the idea was to give the viewers a sampler. Like you said, it's not one experience. It's not the same even in in a city like Delhi, in a city like Mumbai, which they're fairly progressive places to be in. So we decided we'll pick different families and we'll try and speak to different generations. And, you know, it's hugely empowering because we're both women journalists, Rebecca and I, we do this every day where we bring you stories from India. But a lot of the women we spoke to don't usually exercise the power to have their voice heard. Some don't have the option to do that. And some have possibly, frankly, never thought about telling their stories to the world. So we wanted to give them that platform where they could tell you their story, their experiences, the challenges they still face. And the idea was to let them be the narrators and for us to just be there to ask them the questions and nudge them along. And Rebecca, an important aspect of this was also to tell the stories of different generations of women in India to really sort of highlight and bring home how fast moving India has been over recent decades, but also where you're coming from. Yes, that's right. And you really see the difference, how things have changed over the years when you talk from one generation to the next. If you look 20 or 30 years ago, it really was challenging for a lot of women to even think about going to work in kind of corporate India or something or take up these jobs in the field of engineering, which is what we looked at. We looked at one of India's biggest engineering and construction firms. And one of the women that I spoke to, she joined 15 years ago. And she said, even at that point, there were hardly any women at all. It was really, really a big challenge for her. She said she was the only person in her family and among her friends that even did something like that. But now if we fast forward 15 years to the younger engineer, female engineer that we spoke to, you know, she said, actually, a lot more women are doing things like this. There are a lot more women who are going into that field. They're feeling really, really empowered to do that kind of thing. They're not being held back because of their gender. They're having those opportunities, although we have to remember at the same time that there are still a lot of women in parts of the country, particularly in rural areas, who might not be given that level of education. They might be married off early. They still don't have those opportunities. So it's not across the board that we can say that all women in India do have these opportunities. That's definitely not the case. There are still a lot of people who are being held back. But certainly over the generations, there has really been that change. And if you now speak to people who are in their teens in Mumbai, for example, they're really forward thinking. They're very open minded about a lot of things. They have very different ideas on things like gender. And that's really, really interesting to hear, just to see those changes, how rapidly people's mindset is changing. But it's still going to take some time because a lot of those kind of patriarchal attitudes are very, very deeply 
embedded in Indian culture. I just wanted to add to what Rebecca said. You know, something that really stood out was how the young women in the stories we spoke to, whether they were in the village in the state of Uttar Pradesh, whether they were in Mumbai or whether they were in Delhi, they all were ambitious. They wanted nothing to do with the patriarchal expectations of getting married early, of settling down, of getting stuck at home, working in the kitchen. And for me, I think that was remarkable. The fact that these women have the agency to speak, to articulate those ambitions and the fact that their mothers and their grandmothers are supporting them every step of the way. There's still resistance, especially in rural India, from the men who think things should be a certain way. But the women there are having nothing to do with it. And I think, for me, that was so lovely to see, especially the main profile in the rural case study, the, the story we profiled Neha, my namesake. She's this fierce woman who will speak her mind. And I told her, are you worried, you know, that there's pressure for you to get married early? Do you think your father's going to cave and get you married within the next of the year? She took a pause. She looked me dead in the eye and said, I am going to fulfill my dreams at any cost. And I swear I got goosebumps in the moment. And that's something you should watch for in the story as well, because it was completely no nonsense. And like Rebecca said, they're, they're so open-minded, they're so ambitious. And I think that is also the story of India. And I think this will define India's story going ahead across the many generations to come. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And yeah, men, hey, I know it's all about International Women's Day and the eyes of India through its women, but we will briefly touch on on men because they do play a key part in sort of the patriarchal society in India. We'll get your thoughts on that in just a bit. Next on CNA Correspondent, Niha and Rebecca will tell you areas of progress for women in India and also what more needs to be done. Hi, my name is Julie Yu, and I'm the host of The Climate Conversations. Each week, I speak to guests who give us tips on how we can protect the Earth. Every once in a while, we also have interesting stories, like how Singapore's first Tesla owner prompted billionaire Elon Musk to reach out to Prime Minister Lee Sin Long, or a chef who makes the juiciest burgers from only plant-based ingredients. For more stories like these, look for The Climate Conversations on our CNA and MeListen apps or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm at that stage of uh, life where uh, I need to think about other things other than my job, like starting a family or uh, something like that. So yeah, definitely my parents are into that. But then uh, what they were really scared about when I was uh, choosing this field was exactly what you said, like getting a prospective groom for me. The men today, they are uh, far more uh, open-minded than what we think. They actually would like to have a uh, partner who would be more hardworking than them. That's Bhavani Lakshmi, a 26-year-old civil engineer in Mumbai, talking about the pressure of balancing a career and family. You're back with me, Steve Lai, along with Niha and Rebecca. Rebecca, you spent some time with Bhavana. The issue of marriage for women in India is a complicated one. I understand that arranged marriages are still very much the norm. Yeah, there are figures that show that arranged marriages account for about 90% of marriages in India, which is quite incredible, really. And we think of India often as being such a modern society now, and that surprises some people. However, having said that, we have to remember the fact that these are not necessarily forced marriages as such, although they're arranged. In the case of somebody like Bhavna, who's now starting to think about getting married, when it comes to her potential wedding, choosing a groom, what's likely to happen is her parents might actually find somebody or 
some men who might be suitable, but Bhavna would meet those men and she would ultimately have her say. She would have a choice. If she doesn't like the guy, it's very likely that I'm sure in, that in her case, there, there's no way that she would be forced to, to marry him. She would have her say. Her parents would just pick out some people that they think are suitable for her and they'll find those maybe in the, the local area, people who are you know, perhaps from a similar background. So that's how it works, really. But yeah, we have to remember at the same time, there are still some forced marriages in India, which is is really an awful situation. But in the majority of cases, these are not. It's simply the parents doing some some matchmaking for the children. And of course, parents do want what's best for the child in, in most cases. So they're not going to force somebody into something they don't want. Okay, that seems like a universal trend of parents wanting to be involved in marital decisions of their children. Neha, how are things shifting then, if at all, on the marriage front? I think there is an urban-rural divide here as well. There's a socio-economic divide here as well. I think in rural India, the women we spoke to, they weren't asked if they were ready to get married. Whether they would have a say in getting married at all is an unheard of notion, including the younger girls we've profiled who are now 22, 23, and will potentially get married in the next few years. But like Rebecca was saying, in urban India, it's a different setup altogether. I don't know if uh, your viewers and listeners will remember Indian matchmaking, which gave... See my auntie? Yes. I may, I, have, think, I may have watched a few episodes. Yet. Yeah, everyone's guilty pleasure, I think, during the lockdown. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I think that also is a part of India's story. There are matchmakers like this who help families come together. And there is this notion in India still that when two people get married, it's not them getting married, it's their families getting married as well. And I think that's where a lot of the social pressure comes from. But things are changing, like Rebecca said, that even if, you know, it might be a 5% change. I, for example, am part of that change as well. I married someone outside of my community. I was the first one in my family to do that. Initially, there was resistance, but everyone's come on board now to celebrate festivals from both sides. But at the same time, you also hear of things like honor killings and you hear of pressure, especially in rural India, where marriage is associated with prestige, who you marry, the background they come from, the caste they come from. These are challenges that persist every day, but there is change because of education, because of campaigns run by the government. And like we've been saying through the episode, I think the younger generation don't necessarily identify with these ideas of patriarchy and forced marriages, especially. And Rebecca, another measure of equality in a country is equal pay. How does India fare in that regard? Yeah, that's definitely still a big problem that we identified while making this piece in particular, because women are clearly not getting paid as much as their male counterparts. There are figures that show that women are getting paid 28% less than men in India. However, that is an improvement. If we go back to 1994, apparently that figure was 48% less, which is just really, really awful. So at least there are signs that it's improving, but clearly women are getting paid less. And that's not necessarily as well because of their levels of education and so on. It seems that even women with greater education might get paid less from the conversations we've had, particularly, for example, Sapana says that she gets paid less than her husband, even though she's actually got a higher level of education. And the fact that there's this pay gap is also a reason why women are leaving the workforce in India. What's really surprising, despite all this progress that there's been, and you can see women across companies taking up these different roles, more responsibilities, there's actually a drop in female participation in the workforce, which fell to an estimated 19% down from 26% a decade earlier. And it's believed that during the COVID-19 pandemic, even more women 
left the workforce. And one of the reasons behind that is the, the pay gap, the fact that if somebody earns less than their husband and one person is going to stay at home, it is going to be the woman she's earning less that the man will support the family through his greater pay. And also there is the fact that women generally are expected to take on more of the household responsibilities. We saw that with Sapana, for example, who's much more educated than her husband. She's doing the same job, if not more work in her job, but she also takes care of all of the household she oversees, at least all of the household responsibilities and has much more of a role in cooking and looking after the children. She's having to juggle all of that. But certainly it's worrying to see that women are leaving the workforce in India and that happens to be one factor, but also the fact that there's pressure on women to take on the household responsibilities. Childcare is also a challenge. So this is something that's kind of puzzling at the same time that despite the progress, there are fewer women participating in the workforce. And that's also a big challenge for the country's economy because India's growing economy. And in fact, one must point out that if you have more women participating, obviously the economy is going to grow much faster and India is losing trillions of dollars because of the fact that not enough women are participating in the workforce. Okay, well, now's a good time to bring in the patriarchy then, which we sort of teased a bit earlier. I know it's a podcast marking International Women's Day, but I have to ask about men in India. I don't know if you've heard the expression, men of quality don't fear equality. Are things changing, Neha? I think it depends on who you ask. I think a lot of Indian men will say yes, not all men. We've heard this repeatedly as well, right? Like not just for the Me Too movement, but also generally saying we're progressive. We understand that women need more agency. They need freedom to exercise that agency. And it's true. I mean, one of the case studies that we'll profile in the run-up to the Women's Day episode is this lady called Varsha. She's a lawyer. Her husband is a media executive. And he describes their relationship as a badly managed cricket team that they both (laughs) interchangeably play captain and vice-captain for. And I thought that's wonderful, right? Like here's a couple, they're sharing household responsibilities. There isn't an expectation that the woman will manage the kids and the home. And that is true for a lot of urban Indian houses. But I think across the board, that change is something that's not trickled down, especially to, you know, the poorer families in rural India as well. And one thing that India has also struggled with is the issue of violence against women from their own partners. I think there was in 2021, the police across the country received one complaint about domestic violence or cruelty by a partner every four minutes. And there was a government survey that said that had 40% of women and 38% men saying that it's okay for a man to beat his wife if she disrespected her in-laws, if she neglected a home or children, went out without telling him, didn't cook properly. So I think, you know, this is the patriarchy that we talk about. There are a lot more men and women who are educated now, but it's very difficult to shake off the shackles of uh, patriarchy because it's so deeply entrenched. And I think it's got to do with how Girls and boys are raised from a very young age. India has a big problem of female infanticide. Uh, When a boy is born, even today, you will have families congratulate you. A girl is looked at as a burden because she'll eventually have to get married. You'll have to pay dowry for her. And that sort of thinking starts at your own home. And then just sort of, it's like a domino effect. You're tackling that in every phase of life throughout. Of course, like I said, doesn't apply to everyone, but it is largely a reality for India still. Rebecca, your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's nice to see that in the examples that we profiled, they both had very positive attitudes about men. And the men that we spoke to in the story also had very encouraging attitudes, although this is not the case across all men in the country. These were examples where men were very supportive of women. For example, Sapana, who's the senior engineer, her husband, Sankar, is also an engineer as well. And he just has 
the greatest respect for his wife. He was talking so proudly about her, how you know she'd achieved so much in her job, in her education. And you could really tell that he was really just so impressed with everything that she was doing. And it's really nice to see that there are men that do have those attitudes, although, of course, that's not across the country and across all, all men. And Barbara also was very positive about men. She said that, you know, actually, they're, they're not as bad as, as we think. You know, men... Men do. <laughs> Few. <laughs> men are sort of, you know, encouraging women to work, and actually, they're happy if if their their wife is just as hard working or more, more hard working than them. Perhaps men are more willing to now start to look at taking a bit of a backseat, or there may be some of them becoming happier to take on some of the household duties rather than just going out to work. So, so attitudes are changing clearly. Yes, and it's good to highlight these stories where the attitudes are changing because the more that people see that that is sort of the norm and the way forward, then it might encourage similar behavior across the board. This is a question for both of you. Where are the signs of life getting better for women in India and what more needs to happen? Aniha, you first. I think the fact that we're able to hear and see more women, I think that makes a big difference. Like you're talking about men learning from one another. I think it's hugely empowering to see women in public spaces, in politics, for example, uh, like Rebecca was saying, as business leaders, doing non-traditional roles as well, not just being limited to, let's say, nursing or teaching, something that's been the norm in India, like in many other countries as well. So it's good to see women. So when you land in India, in Delhi or Mumbai, for example, you'll see women driving cabs, You'll see women in roadside stalls. You'll see them walking to work in their business suits. So it's lovely to see them part of public life. And I think that's been a big change in the last three decades. I think since India's economy opened up, women have also got those opportunities to be front and center of daily life. But I think a lot of the challenges we've already discussed, I think social awareness is something that needs to change. And I think this is something that the very onus needs to shift to the men, because there are lots of campaigns that the government is running, for example, educate and save your girls, telling parents that it's good to have their girls in school. It is a large impact because it gives the women more agency later in their lives. But there's no campaign telling men not to expect their wives to be homemakers first, to have children by a certain age. I think we need that social shift where there's recognition of women as citizens and not just as mothers, wives, daughters, all of the associated roles that they tend to be looked at as first. Yeah, just as equals, really. Rebecca? Yeah, certainly it seems that the pay gap thing was a big problem and that has to be addressed. And that really comes from companies as well. Private companies should be looking at this more closely and saying that they should really focus on balancing that out so they're not underpaying women because that's clearly unfair and it's discouraging women from going into the workplace or causing them to leave their jobs. The other thing, of course, is a lot of women don't have these opportunities because of factors, including they haven't been given the education. But at the same time, the point that was raised by the two female engineers that, that I spoke to for these stories, they were talking about the fact that women also have to make the choice. So if they have been given the education, they do have the skills, the talent to do these things. They also have to push themselves forward. They have to, to make their choice, make sure that they're having their voices heard. So it has to also come from women. We have to do, yeah, we do have to remember that society, men, the issues here are holding a lot of people back. But those who can should also make sure they push themselves forward according to these women. And I thought that was an interesting point. Now, these stories that you've covered for this episode of CNA Correspondent, it's so easy to tell that they're close to your heart and that you're very passionate about them as well. What do you want the audience to take away from them? Rebecca, you're, you first. 
I think the fact we have to recognise that there has been a lot of progress in India. We have to look at how things have developed over the year, how attitudes are changing. And it's important to see that side of the story. It's not all negative. There's a lot of negative media, a lot of negative press that comes out about India and its attitudes, of course. And we have to realise that there's another side to that. There is this progress that's happening. There is a shift in attitudes. But at the same time, we do have to remember that there are challenges and there's still really a long way to go. And India is still clearly lagging in a lot of respects. And that's something that does need to change. And there's still a lot to be done. But there are signs that things are changing. That's encouraging. And India just has to keep pushing forwards in this direction. I think for me, the idea was to give the viewers a chance to look at India differently, because this happens to all of us. We develop stereotypes in our heads, whether we want to admit to those or not. In India, women are often, you have the tag Mother India, the woman who does everything, the goddesses with 10 hands. All of that is true. Indian women are doing everything they can, juggling multiple things, doing eight times the amount of hard work that men do. But at the same time, these are stories of ambition. These are stories of resilience. These are stories of wanting change in their lives and the lives of their daughters, their granddaughters. And I think that in itself is wonderful to see. It's empowering just by watching. So I think for me, it was an idea to push that narrative that India might not be the country that you think of. Even in rural India, there is change. It's not all buffaloes and paddy fields. There are women who are wanting to study, wanting agency for themselves. And in urban India as well, there are challenges. But there's one thing that unites all Indian women, and that is their demand for more. Wonderful. Niha and Rebecca, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for both of you for speaking with me today. Thanks, Steve. It was lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much. Great to join you for the show. Life for Women in India presents complicated, multifaceted challenges. But as you've heard, there are signs that women are increasingly making progress down the road of self-determination. Though it is also clear that for many, there is still a long way to go. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30pm. This week's episode includes more of the stories and issues you've heard here from Niha Punia and Rebecca Bunden. It marks International Women's Day and is entitled India Through the Lives of Its Women. You can watch it whenever and wherever you like on cna.asia and on our mobile app. And do like and subscribe to this podcast version so you don't miss our future episodes. Thank you for listening. Our podcast team is made up of Sai Ewind, Crispina Robert, Clara Ong, 